What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Welcome to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I am Stephen Conway. With me, as always, is Jeremy Feinstone. We are, of course, contributors to this network, the Fight Game Media Network. You're listening to us on the Fight Game Media podcast feed. We appreciate that. And we just have a lot to talk about, of course. Jeremy, this is the week. We wait for it all year after the... Tremendous amount of great wrestling we have already seen in 2023. We have reached what might be the pinnacle, the G1 Climax. It begins on Saturday. Are you as excited as I am? G1, G-O, go time. We talk about it every year. It's the best time of the year in New Japan Pro Wrestling calendar. It is a month of nonstop action. It can get a little in the weeds in the middle of it, but that's what we are here for. Our plan today is to profile everybody in the G1 let you know what they've been up to up to this point so that you could jump into the G1 knowing full well who is with who who's aligned where who's been doing what who has what belt who could feud with who all the many things that'll just make you primed for G1 action first two nights free on New Japan World it's going to be very, very exciting. We have some other news to get into as well. I uh, wanted to mention that uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling will have an event in the United States, and that's going to be Fighting Spirit Unleashed. They just announced this today as we're recording this, today as we're recording this here on the 12th. Uh, it is uh, at Sam's Town Live in Las Vegas, Nevada on October 28th. 
And so, uh, of course, no matches announced yet. They have, you know, they they might have some idea. Ghetto, the Booker of New Japan Pro Wrestling, might have some idea of the card that he wants to put there. But he's not going to home tell us yet of Impact Wrestling. So that should maybe give you an idea or two of what we could expect on that card. Yeah, so it's not a huge venue. It's not an enormous venue, but tickets go on sale on the 18th. And uh, ringside, uh, right first row is about $299, but don't let that deter you. There are much more reasonable, uh, reasonably priced seats if you don't feel like paying $300. Ringside B is priced at $159, and all the way down to $29. Bucks for the and this is not a big building. So uh, if you have any doubts, if you, you can pay $29, get in. You're not that far away. So uh, it might be a fun thing to see. And there's somebody on this show that's speaking right now that just so happens to probably be in Las Vegas that week. Seriously, uh, by complete coincidence, really? this was announced. I showed it to my girlfriend. I just like, this is, the <laughs> week where, this is the week we're there, right? And she said, hmm, well, maybe we can see Cirque du Soleil another night then. <laughs> so uh, it, if this works out, I will uh, be able to give a live report. So I'm pretty fired up about that. I am. I am stoked to hear that. I didn't have any idea that you're possibly going to be able to go to this show. Uh, you could get great tickets. The tickets are a really good value for the show. Twenty nine dollars to get in the door. I was, I was, mm. I was frankly really shocked to to hear that. You know what else is a really good value, Stephen? <laughs> What's that, Jeremy? Stephen, the Fight Game Media Plus Patreon is oh, a really you. great value of $5 a month. In addition to the Fight Game Media Network podcast that is hosting yours truly, speaking of strong style, along with the Mike and JD show, The Boom, The Rap, and In the Clinch, the Patreon for just $5 a month offers the Fight Game Media podcast home, po- home podcast. It has the dynamite show and it has the five star joshi show speaking of the five of the dynamite show it was free last week if you subscribe to the patreon you don't have to pay any money to get this one you get it for free and this week fearful leader garrett gonzalez and john laraca are recapping wcw 96 and the stuff that they're talking about that's going to be free this week, dropping on the Fight Game Media Patreon feed, is going to cover the Great American Bash and the early oh. stages of the NWO and Scott Hall. So if you're that was a great show, I, I remember that pay per view very well. That was a great show. That is going to be right up your alley as well, then. So anyone who loves the historian in wrestling, that is something that you should definitely check out. But that is talking about the past. And now we should talk about what's going to be the immediate future. And, of course, the winner of the G1 will get the famous contract briefcase to go on to Wrestle Kingdom. And we had an announcement about Wrestle Kingdom that it's going to be a one-night event on January 4th, like usual. Uh, as always, it's the first birthday present I get every year is Wrestle Kingdom. And it is... And that's uh, so- chip. <laughs> so, yes. And it is, uh, as usual, on January 4th. The one thing that was interesting about it so far only one night that would be the first one night wrestle kingdom since 2019 it looks like so as of right now there isn't a second night in yokohama there's no january 5th uh show which they didn't do last year they, they just had it on january 4th and they did that other show in yokohama a couple of weeks later but thus far jeremy uh wrestle kingdom is one night one night only in the tokyo dome do you think it's gonna stay one night i think they have a po- there's a possibility they could add another night i don't think they're gonna do 
say, January 5th in the Dome. I think if yeah. we see another night, it would be something along the lines of what we saw last year, perhaps where they work with some other promotions and put together uh, a second night, and possibly in Yokohama, which isn't too far away from Tokyo. Tokyo is an enormous metroplex. Uh, you know, you hear things like Yokohama, Chiba, all that is within the trains of uh, uh, train system of Tokyo for the most part. It's it's a bit of a trip out there, but it's not far away from Tokyo. It's all of it's in that area, but... Uh, Wrestle Kingdom began originally as a event that involved other promotions. That was the idea behind it. When when they changed from the various names, the January Fourth show has they've been doing January Fourth for a long time. They've only been doing Wrestle Kingdom for eighteen years. This would be the eighteenth Wrestle Kingdom, but they did January Fourth shows going way beyond that. When they changed the name to Wrestle Kingdom. The original idea of Wrestle Kingdom was to bring in people from other promotions to wrestle some of the New Japan guys. And uh, so that I would not be surprised if they added a second night with that theme in mind like we did last year in Yokohama. But those, thus far, uh, nothing uh, announced quite yet. But I do believe last time that second night of Wrestle Kingdom was added later, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, the Yokohama, there was that, they teased it almost immediately around the time, but they didn't really give you an indication of what Wrestle Kingdom in Yokohama was. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we realized it was a very curated super show between Noah and uh, New Japan for Wrestling. And there, Mm -hmm. there we go. Yeah, and so uh, we could see something like that. And, uh, yeah, we mentioned on the Patreon, by the way, that uh, one of the shows on there is the Joshi, uh, five-star Joshi show, uh, Stardom, of course. Worth every penny. Yeah, just for that. (laughs) And then Stardom, around the same time, the best women's promotion in the world, is having their five-star Grand Prix, which is their version of the G1. And so uh, that's a great way to keep track of all this. I don't know how I'm going to watch all this with this and the Women's World Cup going on at the same time, the Women's World Cup five star and uh g1 i'm this is gonna be great stuff i'm i'm so excited about the next month so with i'm that actually mind, really man, glad yeah. that we're recording on wednesdays because i was looking at that schedule and yes. a number of weeks end on wednesday and so we can record and have mm. it ready for you fresh with analysis on thursday especially with that live show that we're gonna do at the end of the g1 Absolutely. where we're recapping everything and hopefully get back to to meet with the live audience and uh and reunite with those long missed. <laughs> Colin and Brad, make sure you're there. We want to see you. Uh, and and uh, plenty of others, too. Boy, geez, what, Flaming Shark and uh, yeah, Miguel and all those guys. So I yeah. uh, hope you guys are listening. And uh, to everybody that is maybe hearing us for the first time, thanks for listening in. We are ready to talk. Uh, G1 Climax 33. Jeremy, you ready to roll? Yes, let's do it. So a little bit different this year. We have four brackets with eight contestants each in a round-robin tournament. In the past, these matches have gone 30 minutes. That is no longer the case this year. The matches go 20 minutes. If you win your match versus your opponent, you get two points. If you go to a draw, you get one point. If you lose your match, you get zero points. And in the case of a double disqualification, both people get zero points. So keep that in mind as you do your personal scoreboard about how these matches are going to go forward. We are not going to predict matches for the most part because Ghetto's a tricky, tricky man, and it is a zero-sum game, and we are not fools. What we are going to do is tell you what each of these wrestlers per bracket have got going on coming into the G1 
and give you realistic chances of what their uh, bracket goals and final aspect might look like. So we have, as you mentioned, uh, four blocks of eight wrestlers. Interesting note, the uh, 10 new entrants, 10 guys having their very first G1 this year, which is a very, very uh, large group uh, to make their debut. Now, the other thing about that 20-minute time limit thing, it's worth pointing out. I don't think they would have announced that if they weren't going to use it. If you weren't, if it didn't matter, for instance, and if you just said, oh, we want to keep the matches a little shorter this year, you could leave the time minute at 30 and then just do finishes under 20 minutes. You can oh, nothing to t- tell the guys 15 to 18, you know, go. And the fact that they are making a point of this means I think they're going to use this more than they have in the past. Time limit draws have been used mostly on the final night, you know, to have block play so that somebody is held to a draw and doesn't score the two points they need to move on, that type of thing. I think we might see a few more 20-minute draws this year because a lot of main events in the G1 Climax tournaments in past years have gone over 20 minutes, Jeremy. It's not unusual for a main event to go longer than that. Uh, there There may be a lot of draws. There also may be a lot of dominant matches where people are made to look strong by finishing people off uh, mm. very quickly. For example, I definitely think that Saber Jr. shouldn't be having many problems finishing people off before 15 minutes, given his whole gimmick right now is being the 15-minute champion. So there are there are things to this that are all uh, that are to keep in mind, and you know who could be a potential challenger for that coming out of this. Those are aspects that we want to keep in mind too. A lot of these uh, individuals have a belt. They have, uh, they have judiciously spread belts out among the field. And so looking at that and reading the tea leaves of who could challenge for some of these belts afterwards is probably going to be a smart game to play. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. It's also fair to point out that a lot of these nights of block play that that two blocks are going to be in action on a given night. So for instance, uh, night one is going to be blocks A and B and then B and C. That means they do have a lot of matches to get through. The 20 minute time limit will also help. So that, that because they're not doing, not doing as many preview tags as they used to, where the first half of the show are preview tags, second half of the block matches. This one's going to be a lot of block matches. So maybe that 20 minute time limit also to hold things down there and keep the show moving the way i kind of read it is i believe all a and b block matches are on one are are scheduled together through the entire tournament and all Mm -hmm. the c and d block matches are scheduled throughout the tournament so there's a cluster of guys that won't even see the other guys and right now they don't even have any preview tags we've got eight matches on every show they've got four from each bracket and right now it seems like they might have 10 matches later on, but from what I've seen on the first four shows, it is A block, B block, C block, D block, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So uh, this is a very, very specifically scheduled show, and people don't make it for injury or reason. They're going to have to keep on moving forward. So let's start with uh, the A block here. Uh, start with uh, the A, and it begins with the Kitty table, as I like to call it. They put uh, Sonata, the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, and Chase Owens, who's in his third uh, tournament, in with a group of guys all making their debuts. Here's the list. Hikuleo, Ren Narita, 
Shota Umino, Yota Suji, Gabriel Kidd, and Keito Kiyomiya, a guest from NOAA. All those people are making their debuts, as I mentioned, uh, third entry for Chase Owens and the eighth uh, for Sonata. So Sonata is, of course, the world heavyweight champion. He is going to have to be booked very, very carefully. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to win the tournament because the G1 is all about setting up a main event at Wrestle Kingdom. So I'm discounting Sonata as winning this thing. I don't have any scenarios in my head where Sonata wins it. No one's won the tournament as a champion in a very long time. Keiji Muto did it, but that was a long time ago. I do think that he will advance out of the bracket, Jeremy. I think he's going to have a very good tournament, but... Of course, you beat the champion very judiciously to set up title matches in the future. So whoever eliminates Sonata from the tournament is probably going to get a title shot. And then whoever wins the tournament will get a title shot at probably Sonata, but not necessarily. I suppose they could do a switch. So I think Sonata is going to be booked very strongly because I think he needs it, uh, especially because, quite frankly, he wasn't very impressive at Forbidden Door. And I think he needs momentum. I think it's strange to think that the world heavyweight champion needs some momentum, but I don't think we're going to be seeing too many losses. In fact, he might only suffer draws in block play. I was kind of going over this in my head. I don't think we're going to see Sonata lose maybe, uh, maybe once in block play and then get eliminated somewhere in the brack in the knockout rounds. But yeah, that's my feeling. Jeremy is that they need to book Sonata strong. I, I kind of expected Sonata to come out of block play of all 32 guys with the single best record of anybody. I think mm. that is a indicator of the strength of him as the IWGP champion that uh, optically would just stand out. He can lose in the post bracket play. There's a number of scenarios because we'll get to that later. Uh, there are a couple people that you can circle uh, Sonata at the Wrestle Kingdom if they choose to keep the belt on Sonata through that time, uh, which will reveal itself at a later time. Not not really important germane to this right now. With that said, my prediction is that Sonata flat out has the best record of anybody. Uh, he might he'll he won't lose a match, I don't think. Maybe some draws, but given the field and seeing that like Chase Owens is his last opponent, there sure does seem like, can he go undefeated would be mm-hmm. like a story rather than, um, is he going to survive the, the, the field? I don't know. There's, there, there's something about Chase Owens being his final bond. No disrespect to Chase Owens, but it seems like, uh, can he get to the finish line kind of story for Sonata? Right. And then I agree with you. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. The, the question here is, who is the other person that comes out of this block? So we're not thinking Chase Owens. He's just not pushed to that level. Same thing with Gabriel Kidd. He's one half of the NJPW Strong Tag Team Champions, but I don't expect them to protect him in singles action Okay, like so, so hold, hold up real quick. Let's go through real quick and just talk about each one of these guys and what they've been up to, and then we'll we'll come to the turn here. Sonata, flat out, we know. He's not, he's not losing out of the field. But so we got we got Shota Umino, who is basically the the next hot shot rogue face of New Japan. What when you see Shota Umino, what do you think of? Like 
for for people listening to our show and have no idea who Shota Umino is, let's describe them for him and just like, what do you know about him? Well, he's not too long back from his excursion. So we're in New Japan, you have your young lion days where you're basically a trainee that that wrestles on the cards early and loses uh, for the most part to the main roster guys. And then you go overseas for a while. Umino was in England, for instance, wrestling for a couple of years before returning with a new look and new character and all that. And so uh, Umino is back with this. He's kind of got a more rebellious version of Tanahashi going as a uh, as a persona so he's affiliated with John Moxley in the back Blackpool Combat Club that was from Moxley's time in New Japan he is booked at this point just underneath the top level he right. hasn't broken through yet but he's got a problem one with Ren Narita who's his first opponent in this tournament and he also has a major problem with Kazuchika Okada I have a hard time believing that Ghetto would pass up a chance to get those two in the ring out of this tournament. But <laughs> uh, this is a this is a tough block as far as who's getting pushed here. So Shota, right now, I would say he's just underneath main event level. This could be a tournament to try to push him a little closer to that main event spot. Yeah, so we got him, and then we got these two other guys who are the three amigos, uh, the the Raiwa three Raiwa. musketeers. Yeah. I am so sorry. The three amigos is what I want to call them, but they are not friends with each other. Whatsoever. Not at all. Uh, Ren Narita, he is the newest member of the Strong Style faction, speaking of Strong Style, with El Desperado and Minoru Suzuki. Minoru Suzuki, if you wonder, did used to have a faction called Suzuki Goon in New Japan Pro Wrestling that disbanded shortly before Wrestle Kingdom this past year. He then proceeded to take Ren Narita under his wing, along with El Desperado, and they did have the trio titles up until they lost them to the current champions, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tomohiro Ishii, and Kazuchika Okada. Ren Narita is at the same kind of level as Shota Umino, maybe a little bit lower, but uh, that is kind of where he is at right now. Uh, what do you want to say about Yoda Suji? Had one of the biggest debuts a young lion has ever had coming back from excursion. He came right into the main event of the second biggest show of the year, Dominion in Osaka. He did lose that match to Sonata, but looked very impressive in it. He's been booked very strong ever since, and again with so many guys that could come out of this block. He's definitely somebody who it might get the nod. He could come out of this thing as the second person out of this block. He has been pushed hard. I do think he will be in it all the way, but I think he will fall just short with either a key loss or a draw late. Uh, but Yoda is definitely protected. When He's been getting a lot of pinfall wins to establish him. And, uh, you know, I don't see him, you know, necessarily making a huge run at this G1, but I don't think he's going to take very many losses. No, I think he is going to look pretty fantastic in this tournament. There were a lot of people that were basically saying belt the dude uh, at Dominion when he debuted and, and had the fantastic match with Sonata. So it's interesting that those two are back in this one. Uh, the thing about the uh, Shota, Ren, Yoda trifecta is that I kind of think that they're all going to draw with each other and kind of take away <laughs> from their advantage to move forward, maybe bottleneck each other in some way, shape, or form, or uh, just cause each other to fail to advance passively rather than actively. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV. 
which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, after that, we have Hikuleo. Now, Hikuleo was the NJPW Strong Champion for a cup of coffee there. He, he won it and lost it pretty quickly right there. But uh, Hikuleo, I would say, mid-card at this point in his career. Uh, but, uh, you know, shows potential. I don't think he's there yet. I don't see him advancing out of this block. Uh, I have a feeling he's going to be one of those guys that hovers closer to the 500 mark. He is definitely a curious case. Uh, having the big guy there feels like it's fuel for some of those smaller, uh, plucky baby faces to perhaps not get a win. Hikuleo isn't a heel, though. So no. him just being the adversary in a lot of these matches is a curious positioning of him. Uh, the Tongan in general, I, I'm, I'm curious about where and how they're going to be positioned in this one uh, going forward. Hikuleo, middle of the road, more to the bottom. Chase Owens and Gabriel Kidd. Now, I'm going to put those two together for a moment here because I think that they're, they're going to be mostly putting people over in this thing. I think this is where a lot of guys are going to get some points is against Chase Owens and Gabriel Kidd. Now, you don't have to protect Gabriel Kidd. He's in a terrific tag team, uh, but it's the NJPW strong tag team titles, not something that needs to be protected too much in this tournament. And uh, the wins have to come from someplace. People have to be pitting some folks. And I think that's what Chase and Gabe are here to do, uh, is mostly put the other guys over and allow them to pile up some points. They'll get some wins. Uh, they'll, they'll probably get one or two. Uh, but I do think their job here is mostly to uh, put the other guys over. I'll tell you what, Hikaleo and Gabe Kidd down the line for uh, some tag titles wouldn't be the uh, most boring thing in the world that you could do as the first feud out the gate, seeing as Bullet Club is uh, in Hikaleo's blood in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> could be. The uh, other thing of note, by the way, about Shota Umino, I just remembered this. Shota, they, New Japan uh, 1972.com, their website, made a point of showing that Shota Umino has learned the STF submission oh, yes, hold from, yes. from Masa Chono. So Masa Chono is known as Mr. August because he's had so much success in the G1. So again, I don't think they would have brought that out unless they were planning to use it in some way. I'm not saying that he's going to sweep his way to victory with it, but I do think it's going to be part of his story that he is learning the STF from the master. And uh, they had him like photographs of uh, Chono training Umino on the hold using Ryohei Oiwa as the, the guinea pig. So uh, it was a, an interesting little thing to do there, a little subplot to this block, uh, if you will, that Shoto Umino is going to be using the most devastating submission hold of the best G1 wrestler in history. So it, it really does. Uh, it, it also wants to tell you that uh, of the three Musketeers, they want Shota positioned 
in the Moxichono role. Uh, if he, the more rebellious him. one. The more yeah. rebellious one. Yeah. Yeah. So they are they are tacitly telling you where they where they see each one of these guys in the hierarchy nowadays by giving them, you know, these moves from the past that you're like, and spelling it out abundantly. Hey, call him A, call him B. It's the same guy. <laughs> The other contender coming out of this block is the last person that we haven't mentioned yet, Kato Kiyomiya, who's a big star for the NOAA promotion. Anytime you have a guest in like this, uh, you're, they're usually treated with a lot of respect, and certainly Kiyomiya being a big star with a company they work with. We're in this wonderful time of cooperation between the major promotions. Uh, it's been uh, terrific to see. So I expect Kiyomiya to be a contender too, very late in this tournament and could very well be the guy that comes out of it. There is a storyline going with Okada and Kiyomiya as well, where Kiyomiya, uh, you know, got, uh, got what looked like a, some people bought as a shoot kick. It wasn't, it was, uh, it was all planned at uh, the night two of Wrestle Kingdom in Yokohama last year that led to a major match with uh, Okada where Okada beat Kiyomiya. And you got to wonder if he's out looking for revenge. So truly, I feel like he's going to be very involved in this block and toward the top of it could very well come out of it. So really, the A block is the most interesting one to me as far as predicting because we feel strongly that Sonata's coming out of it because he needs to. But after that, could be Omino, could be Suji with the way that Suji's been pushed, could be Kato Kiyomiya. Only one of them can accompany Sonata out of this block and, uh, you know, there's just a lot of combinations here in there. I think it's really interesting that Kiyomiya has his first match with Yoda Suji, and he has his right. last match in the bracket against Ren Narita. Mm -hmm. uh, Ren, Nari Ren Narita. <laughs> I can never get that right sometimes. Uh, Ren. Anyways, uh, I think it's interesting. I think he is going to exert some dominance over all three of those guys or at least two out of the three. Um, the the three Musketeers are still positioned as, as young bucks, in a way, in the in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kiyomiya is one of the top guys in Noah. So yeah. for him to be positioned at the level of those three guys, I don't know. It seems like that is underplaying his value and his status in another promotion. He just seems like a guy that is going to come out looking strong in the bracket, even if he does not move forward. He may not get Okada at any point in this tournament, but he no. may get a very valuable feud out of it, uh, depending on who uh, eliminates him from the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. And so uh, we will see how that one pans out. So again, the A block, we think that it's going to be some combination of Sonata and uh, Umino, Suji, or Kiyomiya. Do you agree on that one? I'm going to go with Sonata and Kiyomiya myself, personally. Okay. I, think it's, I think it's strong, but uh, the Dark Horse candidate to the other two, for sure. All right. So well, that's A block, and we're going to move on to the B block. And the B block, now. This one's a little top-heavy, in my opinion, Ooh. as far as what we got. But, boy, there's going to be some great matches in this block. There. So here we go. We have Kazuchika Okada. Now, for my money, one of the very best wrestlers, 
perhaps in history. It's his 12th entry, his 12th consecutive. He has won the tournament four times. He uh, <laughs> is the never open weight six man tag team champion and a perennial main eventer for New Japan Pro Wrestling, Kazushiko Okada. Uh, occupying very rare air in Japanese wrestling as far as his ability and aura, uh, one of the biggest stars in the entire business. Joining him in this block, Yoshihashi, who is a stablemate. So we're going to get a, uh, they're both in chaos faction. So we'll see a chaos on chaos violence here. His uh, seventh entry, fourth in a row. He is one half of the NJPW, uh, uh, excuse me, the IWGP heavyweight tag team champions. We have another interesting person here, Taiichi. Taichi is the King of Pro Wrestling title holder. That's the title uh, that includes matches in which they come up with creative stipulations, both challenger and champion, and then the fans vote on which stipulation they want to see. Taichi has been having a, uh, career years for about three consecutive years. He has been uh, really on the upswing uh, and has moved, I would say, to occasional main event status and certainly just underneath the top uh, spot. Yoshihashi, mostly a tag team wrestler when he's pushed as a singles wrestler, tends to be toward the middle. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I think those are the guys that step up when the, guy, when the main event guys aren't there. Uh, we also have Kenta, who uh, used to be the NJPW Strong Champion. He's lost that. He is the Defy Champion in, in the United States. It's his fifth consecutive. And, uh, you know, for him, he's part of the uh, the Bullet Club. Uh, not not so much exactly with House of Torture, but certainly kind of wrestles a little bit like that. A lot of cheating, a lot of, uh, of uh, you know, foreign objects, that type of stuff. Uh, we also have the Great Okan. Uh, it's his third entry and his third consecutive. Uh, just recently lost the uh, Rev Pro British heavyweight champion, former champion of the British, but all hail. And uh, we love Great O'Connor. Of course, he's a hero. He saved a woman's life, literally. So uh, <laughs> with that, they dropped the idea of him being a uh, heel, and he's more of a, a kind of a cocky guy that the people like more than anything else. Can't really make a heel out of a guy who was on the news for saving a woman's life. That's a little challenging. Uh, and then we have the, yeah. the other major, major contender here is Will Ospreay. Yes. And uh, Osprey, of course, has had this series with Kenny Omega going over the U.S. heavyweight title, uh, which he has recently won from Kenny. He's now the IWGP U.S. champion. Also making a point last year at Wrestle Kingdom when he lost to Kenny, saying he was giving himself one year uh, to reach the top. Nothing is said by accident in the, that kind of context. So we feel that Osprey could be part of the rise to the top that this g1 could be part of osprey's true rise to the top we think he's going to be heavily involved in uh, this tournament we also have tangaloa just back from injury it's a second entry but it's first in a couple of years uh tangaloa uh was hurt for quite a while out i believe it was a knee uh i think it was a knee but i, I but anyway either way he has been out for a long time of course he and tamatanga the gorillas of destiny a team that was around a long time and won a lot of tag team titles uh, it's his second entry. First two years, he is back, though. We haven't really seen much of him. And then El Fantasmo, a newly minted babyface. Uh, so he it's his second entry and second consecutive. He was a junior heavyweight before that and one of the best. And he's an excellent worker, and he's new on the babyface side. So this presents a lot of interesting matchups against former Bullet Club stablemates, really, especially with Kenta. There, uh, there's going to be some subtext to that. So El Fantasmo involved. So what what are your thoughts on this one? El Fantasmo still trying to find his place 
on the card for the most part. We don't know really where he's slotted exactly. El Fantasmo, Taichi, Great Okan, Kenta, Tangaloa, and Yoshihashi are all probably going to have great matches. With that said, if you don't think that Will Ospreay and Kazuchika Okada are coming out of this bracket as the 1A and 1B uh, for all intents and purposes, I don't know what to tell you. Um, this is this is a bracket that is designed to give them both excellent matches and rest matches and drama matches. Okada has a stablemate match with Yoshihashi. Will Ospreay has a stablemate match with Great Okan. Taichi is a guy that shows up and has great matches in big moments. But when it's not big moments, the guy is an excellent library book that is always checked out. Uh, other than that, you know, we're, we're going through this. And it's good to see Tangaloa back. This will be his first yes. tournament uh, his first action since major MCL surgery last summer. Uh, I'm going to go Will Ospreay wins the bracket and Okada comes in second. Okay. It could go either way. And yeah. it really could, but I feel very strongly those are the two coming out. I would be very surprised if neither one of these guys made the quarterfinals. That would just be a, a shocker to me. And uh, really, there isn't anybody else that you would say, oh, that's a better choice. Uh, there are a couple of intriguing uh, intersectional uh, matchups here. I mentioned Okada and Yoshihashi, but Great Okan is part of the United Empire, and he's going to be wrestling Osprey. So that'll be uh, a neat little thing there. Like I mentioned, Kenta and El Fantasmo recently kicked out a bullet club by uh, – by uh, David Finlay. And so Phantasmo will have a grudge match there against Kenta. And certainly Tangaloa has been feuding with uh, this version of Bullet Club with Jay White kicked them out. So, and they've been so technically Tangaloa and El Phantasmo are both Hontai? Yes. Uh, although, again, Tangaloa has not been in New Japan since El Phantasmo turned. So uh, that's uh, that'll be the first time that those two have been in the ring. Uh, together since then, so it'd be I'll, I'll tell you, the more I think about it, the more it seems like might not be a bad idea to turn the Tongans heel, given the decimation yeah. of the way that some of them have lost recently. Yeah, but how do you how do you turn them heel? They would have to join Bullet Club again. That's the only heel faction in the company. I mean, there's a number of things that you could do. They've been re they've been reshuffling the whole roster and, and factions here or there. So it, it you can't leave it out of the question. They don't like do something different, but I don't know. It was just one of those. I was looking at the bracket and you know, Tangle look back. Maybe he's got maybe he's angry about a thing or two. You never know. Yeah, I don't see them turning. I don't see them okay. turning those guys heel. So, but yeah. Anyway, we we agree that this one is the uh, the Barcelona and Real Madrid of this one. This is a very top heavy group. Okada and Osprey heavily favored to come out of this the one. only ones that have main evented a Wrestle Kingdom seem to be the likely choices of leaving the <laughs> All right, so that's the B block. We'll move on to the C block, where we have. Hey, Tamatanga, we were just talking about him. So the yeah. C block. Now, th this there's an inside joke here that we should acknowledge right off the top here, I think. The past G1 has been two blocks, A and B. Back when there were preview tags, I'll explain what that means. 
in the past again uh the a block would have their tournament matches the b block guys would be on the card but they would be in tag team matches that didn't count toward the standings so they would have uh, the, the guys in the tournament would be joined by other people in their faction who uh, were not in the G1, and they would wrestle, say, their next night's singles opponent and uh, a partner of theirs. And it was just it was a preview tag, so you were getting an idea of what you were going to see in singles matches the next night. This is why this is an inside joke. For years, David Finlay and Aaron Hanare were baby faces on these uh, preview tags because they weren't chosen to be in the tournament. They had not risen to that level yet. Both of them have progressed in their careers since then. They lightheartedly joked that they were the C block, you know, that they were the, you know, they were, we were the C block and they started keeping track of who had better win loss <laughs> records during the tournament. So even though they were part of the tournament and they were in the, they were in these preview tags, Hanare and Finlay started keeping track of, well, I was on the winning side. So I have two points and you were on the, you were on the winning side the other night. So that was two points for you. And they even came up with this goofy little trophy they had, uh, which looked like something that you would get like a participation trophy for the little league uh that was the c block trophy well now they've moved on and aaron hanare is a part of the united empire david finlay is now the new leader of bullet club and is putting his stamp on the group making it younger making it a little more aggressive and in a wink and a nod to all that hanare and david finlay have been put in the c block so we're going to officially see who's coming out of the c block this year and it is uh what I like to call the bruiser bracket. There are some stiff bastards in this group. This right is going to be a rough one, dude. <laughs> I don't this... feel good about any. They talked about, okay. They talked about people have been worried about Tanahashi and his yeah. bracket. And we Bro, are. He is, he is in a softball league compared to the, <laughs> compared yes. to, compared to this bracket. This yeah, is going we'll to be a brutal, brutal bracket. Let's do this. So Tamatanga who uh, is a low-key hard hitter. Uh, if you watch Tamatanga's matches, they're, they're pretty snug. And uh, he, of course, was the uh, strong, uh, in his, excuse me, the never. never openweight champion for quite a while, the never openweight champion. Uh, he since lost that to David Finlay, who's in this block. So a little uh, subtext okay. there. Okay, so, okay. We, he didn't just lose. No, he was no. murdered. He was <laughs> murdered. So when we're talking about profiling what has happened, up yeah. to date, previously on New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, they had a match at Dominion, and it was a murdering. David Finley beat him pillar to post, left him lying, and they stretchered him out. This is his first appearance back, and he is in the same bracket as David Finley. So that is a match to circle in the yeah. middle of the entire thing. It is not positioned as a linchpin match it is positioned as right in the middle something to circle and pay attention to when that yeah. happens i'm very curious to see for tamatonga where he goes from there it's it is intriguing because uh you know that's that's something to to keep in mind they use tamatonga to really put this new heel david finlay over so they they sent tamatonga in there with the never open weight title and he they just the entire point of the match was to show how vicious and brutal David Finlay is now that he has turned and he's with ghetto and he is the leader of bullet club. And there are the, the meanest bastards on the block again, and not the almost 
bumbling, cuddly bullet club as it as it got to be. And no, this uh, is with a murder. With the exception of Jay, yeah, with the exception of Jay White, like I said, younger, more aggressive. So Finlay was. Uh, Finlay owes a lot to Tamatanga uh, just personally as far as putting him over as a vicious uh, heel. And uh, so we'll see that. Now, we also have, speaking of stiff bastards, Tomohiro Ishii. Now, Ishii, Ishii isn't going to win a whole lot of matches here. He'll win some. He'll win some. It's his 11th entry, his 11th in a row. He's part of the six-man tag champions with Okada and Tanahashi. He's mostly used to put other guys over in key situations. Now, you can't do that if you lose all the time. So he's going to win some here. But oh, he's going to make it work for it. <laughs> but Ishii has great matches time after time. He is brilliant at putting people over in that spot. So he'll have a great match with someone, make them look like a million dollars, make them look like a tough guy, and then lose to him or hit his vertical brain buster, and he's going to get some victories. Let's make that clear. He's not going to go with two points or four points or even six points. I mean, he, he's going to be around, I think, the 500 mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to score more than that, but they've stored, they've, you know, you notice the ghetto's kind of lowered him down as a singles wrestler a little bit uh, there. Uh, but uh, Ishii is going to have wonderful battles with guys, and he's going to leave some bruises. Although the funny thing is, Jeremy, I've heard that Ishii is so good that it doesn't feel all that stiff when he works you, which is incredible if you think about how his matches look. He is a, he is a fantastic wrestler. I'm going to cheap plug the Discord right now. Uh, right. You can email Gigi at fightgamemedia.com uh, for the invite if you want in on this kind of discourse. But in light of the recent Wrestling Observer Radio where they did a roundtable about the Hall of Fame, there is a very healthy discourse on there discussing Ishii's candidacy for and against being a Hall of Fame wrestler. Now, I think the guy is no doubt a Hall of Fame wrestler, even if he doesn't have any uh, major world titles to his belt. He's just fantastic, and I would vote for him at every opportunity that I can. But this is what we're talking about when it comes to Tomohiro Ishii. He is an all-time wrestler, and he is old, but he is vicious, and he picks his spot well so that when he is in the ring with you, he looks like he is barely able to keep it together before the bell rings and barely able to walk out after the bell rings. But between the bells, oh boy, he, he will make you work for it, and it will look amazing. That's very well said. And uh, the next person we're going to talk about is a serious contender for this block is Shingo Takagi. This is a guy they brought in after a long career at Dragon's Gate years ago and have pushed hard and protected ever since. So this is his fifth entry, his fifth in a row. And I expect Shingo to be in the mix at the end of this uh, block play and may very well make the quarterfinals out of this one. He is, uh, he and Finlay to me are the most likely with some dark horses that we're about to talk about, but uh, Shingo is uh, taken care of by ghetto. And for good reason, he's a wonderful wrestler. He works well with everyone. He can do almost every style. Uh, one of the very best in the world. And I would expect uh, Takagi to have a strong tournament here. And you know, he's going to have some good matches when you look at the other guys in this block. So Shingo Takagi is a guy that everyone's kind of heard his name, even if you aren't paying attention to Japan Pro Wrestling. His name comes up in conversation. And here's basically why. Around 2021, 
Will Ospreay was not able to continue as the champion in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And they did a match between Okada and Shingo Takagi for the vacant title. And Shingo beat Okada for the title and proceeded to basically, by proxy, carry out the storyline that Will Ospreay was designed to do that year all the way up until Wrestle Kingdom when they had a two-night event. Will beat him for the title and then proceeded to carry out the rest of the story there. Shingo is a company man. From that point on, he has done whatever the company has wanted him to do to the point where he actually reinvigorated the King of Pro Wrestling title, the blue title now around Taichi's waist, bringing it, frankly speaking, a level of prestige that it never had before when it was under the auspice of Toru Yano as the uh, shepherd of that belt. Right. He, uh, he no longer has the belt. But Shingo Takagi is positioned to look very, very strong in this tournament. And, yeah, he is one of my candidates to make it out of here. Yeah. Uh, up next is the one person here that is going to be putting a lot of guys over. That's Mikey Nichols. He is part of the TMDK faction. Uh, Nichols and Shane Haste, a very good tag team, but he's mostly a tag team wrestler. And, again, you have to get points from somewhere. So I think Mikey is here to have good matches and win a couple of them. But for the most part, uh, I think Mikey Nichols is, uh, you know, looking at, uh, you know, four or five points in this thing. Uh, so uh, Mikey Nichols, again, good tag team wrestler, doesn't need to be protected in a G1 block. Yeah, so Mikey Nichols is a member of that Sabre Jr. faction, the Mighty Don't Kneel, uh, along with Shane Haight and uh, uh, Ryohei Oiwa. And so I found out when I was reading the profile of David Finley in his interview Mikey Nichols is actually the biggest guy in the block, uh, hmm. weight and height. So he's actually going to be huh. the bruiser kind of guy, that gatekeeper guy, big guy you have to get through in the bracket. He doesn't have much going on uh, in New Japan. He had a, an excellent title match, tag title match against uh, Bishamon back in Dominion or around that time. And so... Like you said, I think he's just going to be a guy in the bracket, but he could also raise his stock by having excellent matches. Yeah, and so uh, I think that's a, a very good point, actually. It's, it's an excellent way for him to kind of make a little bit of a name as a singles here, too, which has worked, which has worked mm -hmm. for guys in the past. Uh, Aaron Hanare, part of the United Empire, not one of the most pushed guys in United Empire. He gets He tends to get wins in tag team matches, but in singles, he's not as protected as much. He'll get some respect here. He's a good wrestler. He's a really good wrestler, actually. <laughs> the, uh, far, far better than his push. But right now, I don't. There, there are just a lot of really good wrestlers in New Japan. You can't push everybody. And right now, it's not quite Henare's time. Uh, he'll probably do a little bit better than Nichols, but I don't expect him to be in the mix. Do you? No, not necessarily. I think Aaron Hanari's claim to fame this past year was having an excellent forty-minute King of Pro Wrestling match. Uh, that, that, that was that was. Probably the best match of his career. And if you get New Japan World for the G1 and for whatever reason, get a hankering to be like, I want to know about more about Aaron Hanare. That's the one match you, you got to find. Uh, as a part of United Empire, he always has an opportunity to look good, but he is lower down the card on United Empire. And I think he'll be losing more than he'll be winning. Yeah. 
Up next, we're going to talk about our special guest. Uh, we had a uh, we had the the guest of Kato Kiyomiya in uh, the A Block, who's from NOAA, and here we have Eddie Kingston from AEW. And uh, it's Eddie is living his dream the last few months right there, and uh, he is a Japanese wrestling nerd, and and I mean that in the very best sense. And here he is having his debut entry as the NJPW Strong Champion. So Eddie Kingston in this C block, the idea of Kingston versus Takagi, Kingston versus Ishii, Kingston versus Tamatanga. I am very excited about seeing uh, Eddie in this tournament. And I think he is a dark horse. Eddie would be a good guy to be in it until the very last day because he just is such a wild card in everything. Uh, plus his, his backstage comment promos are going to be brilliant. I guarantee you that. He's in there with David Finlay on the last day of the tournament, which makes mm -hmm. me think he is going to be a very important part of who makes the quarterfinals. So I think this could be a thing where he either upends Finlay at the very end or is the last hurdle that Finlay has to do something dastardly to clear. Either way, Kingston's going to be in the mix. He is going to have terrific emotional matches his matches aren't going to be the technical masterpieces that osprey and okada and zach saber have but the emotion in eddie's matches will be second to none in this tournament and i encourage anyone here to pay special attention to him against the top guys in this block yeah so he's starting out the gate against shingo takagi and Ooh. when you're looking when you're looking at those like upset special matches it kind of seems like Eddie Kingston defeating Shingo Takagi first night is one of those matches that you should kind of circle and say, hmm, hey, that could yeah. happen. Uh, Eddie Kingston is a fantastic wrestler who, since February, has had Bullet Club's number. He was the one that got rid of Jay White at the battle in the Valley of San Jose before David Finley totally got rid of him. He then, after his hernia surgery, returned and at the New Japan Strong Invitational during July 4th and July 5th, beat Kenta for the New Japan Strong title. So he is now a singles champion in New Japan. However, a little bit lower belt than what David Finley has. I think that he's had way too much success against Bullet Club, against previous iterations, that uh, there, there seems to be a sense of comeuppance that David Finley may perhaps be making an example of him given his success and giving the empire giving. shall the empire shall strike back absolutely so kingston will have a new uh, set of opponents to roll through going out of the g1 namely some uh bullet club shenanigans we mentioned david finlay here uh, and how he's going to be involved he's the next guy we're going to talk about finlay is in an interesting spot. He's being pushed very hard by Ghetto. Uh, Ghetto is, in fact, on on screen is his manager. It's a good spot Bloody to be Bloody hands, Ghetto. Bloody hands, Ghetto. David Finlay has been pushed as the new leader of the Bullet Club. He's brought in people like uh, Alex Coughlin and Gabriel Kidd, the War Dogs, who have been uh, a very good heavyweight tag team. He's brought in Drilla Maloney and Clark Connors to Bullet Club, a very good junior tag team. We've heard a lot of people praise both of those war dog teams. Often that praise is followed by, but Finlay, I don't know. So there is a lot for David Finlay to prove in this tournament, Jeremy. I think that the pressure is on him to live up to his bullet club mates as far as coming across as a vicious evil bastard. 
we went through so many years of the smiling, joking, happy-go-lucky David Finlay. It's going to take a lot of work for him to get over as a piece of shit heel. He's capable of it. He's a talented guy, but he's not there yet. And I think that this tournament is going to go a long way toward it. I do see him slipping out of the C block and into the quarterfinals, probably by doing something particularly dastardly and cheating to do it. Just because I think they need to work hard to get this guy over as a nasty bastard. And that is the goal. I think he's going to do it. I, so I think he's probably going to underhandedly uh, get some get enough wins here to slip out of this block. That's my impression of it, just because he needs more steam. Steven, I do not mm-hmm. share your concern about David Finley's status. I am okay. all in. I am not worried. This guy is going to look great. I have been sold on him for a few months now, and the people that are naysaying it, they may not have to naysay it much longer. I think that this is exactly the kind of bracket, exactly the kind of matches that he needs to have. Right. Uh, I think there are scenarios here that he is just going to be standing tall and looking dominant unless uh, blank heel ways of winning these matches and more just shillelagh to the forehead might be dirty trick, but he's not going to be a cowardly heel winning these matches. He is... He is going to look strong. He is going to be looking like somebody that in 2024 will be challenging for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, if not the U.S. Championship, one or the other, but he will be moving on from the Never Openweight Championship rather than moving down from it. It's going to be interesting to see because keep in mind, he is the holder of an important title. That Never Openweight Championship is basically the number two singles title in the company right now. You can make a case for the U.S. title, but the U.S. title isn't around all that much. So he's going to lose only in key spots to set up title matches in the future. So that's something to watch out for also as to who might be his uh, challenger. Interesting to note, Shingo Takagi has said he's moving on from the King of Pro Wrestling title in the past. So it might be time for that Never Openweight thing. So... Uh, yeah, by, and by the way, I mentioned it when I was doing the introduction for David Finlay. I think he's more than capable of it. I think he, I, I think the guy's good, but there, you can't deny that there have been a little bit of whispers saying, I just don't see him as the mean guy quite yet. Uh, and so uh, he, he's the one with a lot to prove. That's not to say he can't do it. I think he can, but he's got work ahead of him. He's got work ahead. Now, I think he can do it, but he's got work ahead of him. So he's the guy I'm most intrigued about. I know what I'm going to get out of Ishii and Shingo. I know what I'm going to get out of Eddie, that emotion right there, and I'm looking forward to it. It's Finlay, I think, is the most intriguing guy. I'm very interested in his matches, So I guess is what I'm saying, to see how he does this. Yeah, it's uh... – this is back to the ghetto, the tricky, tricky bastard. <laughs> the other guy is Evil, uh, who has been in the tournament a lot. Uh, I'm bringing it up now. Uh, Evil, let's see here. Where is uh, there? The it former is former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Yeah, as is uh, Takagi, as mentioned. Uh, Evil uh, is eighth consecutive tournament right there. Part of the House of Torture. Uh, and the House of Torture, their gimmick is outside interference and ref bumps. And they do a lot of things like that that don't really work that well it's not something new japan does well so uh, i'm not particularly looking forward to a lot of outside interference from guys like 
I don't know who they're going to bring, uh, you know, Dick Togo or uh, I doubt Yudro will be there. Maybe he will. I don't know. I think Yudro's the guy. I think Yudro's the second. Yeah, maybe Togo, maybe Togo, but uh, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be shenanigans and silliness and things like that. And uh, if anything, though, a lot of these guys being in the bruiser bracket could probably use a night off and the evil match could be a night where maybe you don't have to take uh you know, 50 stiff forearms to the face during the match. So uh, that might be what he's there to do and uh, just give guys a bit of a night off, but I don't expect evil to be involved uh, in uh, the, in any, uh, in any way in the corner finals. Yeah, no, uh, he is a guy filling out the bracket because it would look politically pretty bad if he wasn't in the, in the tournament, but I don't think anyone really takes it seriously. If he um, coming out of the bracket, especially with Shingo, Eddie, David, Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, it is a mur and Tamatonga. It is a murderer grow, and he is not top of the top of the pile right now. The other thing of note in uh, C block, quickly before we move on, uh, nobody is in the same faction in that whole group. So oh. everybody is uh, everybody's either a guest or in different factions. So moving on to block D. Now D is another one I think is fairly top heavy with a dark horse candidate. Uh, so I think that this one really comes down to three guys and uh, probably two, but we'll get into that. The first one on the list is Hiroshi Tanahashi, one of the greatest of all time, uh, his 22nd entry, his 22nd consecutive G1 tournament. He has won it in 2007, 2015, and 2018. He is one-third of the Never Openweight Six-Man Champion team with Ishii and Okada. We have talked a lot about Hiroshi Tanahashi and the condition of his body right now, particularly his knees. His body shot. Uh, it is uh, not uh, in great shape. He really hasn't been able to run. Quite frankly, man can't run, which means he can't really jump either. We've seen him mostly fall off the ropes more than jump off of them. Uh, his version of the sling blade doesn't look good anymore. It's been tough. Hiroshi Tanahashi is one of the smart workers, but his body has kind of betrayed him. So people that watch a lot of New Japan are a little worried about the dude going through an entire G1 again. Uh, years ago, they removed Tenzan, Kojima, Yuji Nagata, and then later Minoru Suzuki, quietly. They didn't do a farewell tour for Suzuki. We may be looking at Hiroshi Tanahashi's final G1, possibly. Nothing has been announced. But just seeing how difficult it is for the man to really move and to have high-level matches anymore, I'm curious to see if this 22nd consecutive entry could be his final one. Sure seems like it. Uh, there, there's a lot of people calling for it, and there's a lot of young talent, and there's a lot of people from other promotions that are looking to get in. If, if he can get through this uh this bracket healthy i think it'll go a long way to quieting people for next year but he needs to look good in a majority of his matches and i expect him to be somewhat protected in these like this is exactly the right bracket with the right kind of opponents the psychology will be there across the board every one of these guys have been trained in the New Japan Dojo way in some way, shape, or form. So I am not worried about it to the extent that everyone else seems to be worried about it, but uh, 
say there's action, there's a real concern there. I think it's just more the idea that we might be watching the last go around for somebody who has been such a huge part of this tournament for so long. So that, that's I mean, really it's, what it's, uh, it's a reminder of my own impending mortality. If you want to get dark, dark about it, but <laughs> that's, pretty dark. Uh, that's a little dark. That's a little dark, but, but in all honesty, it's like these have been amazing careers. And if you've been watching the G one, you kind of know that like, I don't want to say circling the drain, but, we're we're getting to the sun setting in a lot of ways for a couple of these guys, and you know Suzuki hasn't been in the G one for a few years. Uh, Tanahashi, we're we're getting there, and yeah. tip of the cap to the dude. Uh, go out strong, my man. It's not so much my own mortality, but uh, I do have to say that watching Tanahashi reminds me that my very favorite childhood memory is my back not hurting. So, I like waking up and I don't have phantom pain, but you know, yes. Uh, so let, let's talk about the front runners in this block before we get to some of the others. Uh, Tetsuya Naito. I want to talk about him. 14th entry, 14th in a row. He has won the tournament twice. Uh, he doesn't have a belt right now, but what he does have is an IWGP World Heavyweight Champion who turned his back on Naito and his faction. So somewhere along the line, Naito and Sonata have to meet in a high stakes match. Hasn't happened yet. You know, they, they broke up. He, he left Sonata, left uh, LIJ dismissively, just basically told him to all take a hike. And he was joining up with Taichi in the Just Five Guys group. And there hasn't been any real reprisals on him on that. Now, Hiromu Takahashi has challenged Sonata. We're going to see Yoda Suji clash with him. Nai- uh, Shingo Takagi wasn't real happy with Sonata. Naito has been playing it strangely cool about Sonata. Would, would you him. say that Naito is playing it tranquilo? Yeah, of course he is. And some of it is all nothing bothers him. But I have a feeling it really does. <laughs> and so uh, character-wise, character-wise. And so uh, Naito here, I feel real strong is coming out of this for a couple of reasons. One, Naito is one of the most consistent draws. He's still probably the most popular guy in the company. Uh, He is a a corner uh, post to the company. He has not been a priority the last few years. Uh, He wasn't really a main event in Wrestle Kingdom this year. And then they put him in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom in Yokohama, which I love that they called it Wrestle Kingdom in Yokohama. But to me, it didn't really feel like the pomp and circumstance of the Wrestle Kingdom at the Tokyo Dome, even though you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And this feels like a a much bigger deal for for Knight. I I feel like this one's going to be. Uh, you know, and this one just feels like something that Naito is going to be heavily involved with. So I it, sure hope so, because he was phoning it in at Forbidden Door, and hopefully, was just saving himself for yes. for the real stuff here. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. The other one uh, I find uh, very intriguing is Zach Saber Jr. out of yes. this group. So Zach, now Zach is in his seventh uh, straight uh, G1. He's the guy that never left Japan, even during the pandemic, stuck it out there in living there for. Uh, all through all that when you couldn't really travel. And so uh, Zach, uh, company man through and through, he is the current television champion, uh, which is, of course, we mentioned the 15-minute time limit uh, title, so high-speed title, so to speak. Uh, And Zach is simply one of the best technical wrestlers on the face of the earth, might be the best, and someone that they always take good care of. And he is portrayed as and wrestles like a great tournament wrestler. He almost always does well in the New Japan Cup. 
almost always does well in the G1. With two people coming out of this D block, there's a possibility he's not one of them, but I I am leaning toward him getting out of this block. Yeah, most veterans watching New Japan and pundits coming into this with a bit of experience kind of identified Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. as the 1A and 1B out of this bracket, given the concern for Tanahashi, and then taking into account the status of the other guys. The only other real guy that has a shot, but I'm going to be a little bearish on, is Jeff Cobb, and we can talk about him next. But uh, those two would be the people I'd circle going forward in this bracket yeah and you know the the thing with uh the thing that i see with uh cobb who is in his fifth entry fifth consecutive part of the united empire uh group is just another guy that they take good care of for the most part don't beat too often you also have to pay attention to zach as the tv champion of course anyone that beats him would then be set up for a title shot uh, so that's uh, so they're going to be judicious with his losses. Uh, Cobb I did tell you a while back that if Jeff Cobb was ever going to get his win back against Zach Sabre Jr., it'd probably be in this bracket. Yeah. Uh, after the the loss and the draw, this seems like the past fifteen minutes, Cobb finally puts him away and uh, exercises that ghost. And again, we talk about how a lot of times the last match of the block action has an impact on who gets out of the block just for dramatic purposes you you send it you know you build the drama all the way up until the last day it's worth noting hiroshi tanahashi scheduled against naito and zach is scheduled against hiroki goto which is intriguing in a lot of ways so here uh, one for you i got one uh, for you yeah we're gonna talk about goto in just a moment go ahead Yes, I, I just saw this, and I wanted to ask you before we move on from these two. Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. are night one. Yeah. It looks like. Zack Sabre Jr. typically has gotten the best of Naito in these matches. Do you <laughs> yes, think this is the time Naito finally, you know, gets one over on Zack Sabre mm-hmm. Jr.? Yeah, it could very well be. I'm going to talk about why, too. I think that's possible. But, but you know, it's let me take a look at that in night two very quickly. Um, where, well... Hmm. Well, okay. Well, on his first one, it's Naito and Cobb, isn't it? Yeah. On, uh, the 16th oh, I'm sorry. I got that all Tomorrow? mixed up. He's on the that's 26th. Okay. I looked at the graph yeah. wrong. That's okay. <laughs> that was, that was uh, on me. But still, no, that's okay. I'm going to have to circle be. that one. No, yeah, absolutely. So we're, I want to mention Goto because Goto now is a former G1 winner. He's the other G1 winner in this block. Hey, he won the right. tournament in 2008. Uh, it was a long time ago, but still. It's the 16th consecutive tournament, and he's one of the IWGP Tag Team Champions. So Goto uh, is still going to be one of those guys that's going to win more often than he loses, but I think his losses are going to be to key in key spots. You know, so... Uh, he's going to get a lot of uh, respect, especially being one half the tag team champions, a former winner, and somebody that they always take good care of. But he's a guy similar to Ishii in that he can lose a really good match and it doesn't hurt him very much. So you don't need to protect him in this one the way you do some of the others. No, you're you're absolutely right. So, yeah, I don't have anything much to add to that. Okay, so moving on from that, there are a couple of guys, and I don't like the term also rans, but again, we mentioned you have to pick up your wins from someone. And you have two tag team wrestlers in this one. Uh, Alex Coughlin, I expect to uh, get some upset wins 
by the way. I think he's the, the one they're pushing the living hell out of the war dogs. So both Gabriel Kidd and Alex Coughlin, I, I don't expect to go over at all. I think they're going to get some upsets. But again, not in the mix because uh, as the NW, N, NJPW strong tag team champions, they don't need to be protected as singles and the wins have to come from somewhere. Same thing for Shane Haste from Team uh, DMD, TMDK. These guys' jobs are going to be to have really good matches and probably put some people over. Coglin more than Haste will probably get an upset or two just to remind you that they are forces to be reckoned with since they're uh, getting strong pushes as part of this new new version of Bullet Club. Something to keep in mind is that Hiroki Goto and Jeff Cobb are in a bracket together and Yoshihashi and the Great Okan are in a bracket together. So mm-hmm. hmm, interesting, interesting. It is interesting. Yes. And uh, let's let, yeah, that, and that could go toward the tag team titles for sure. Uh, in the future, other person to mention over here is Toru Yano, who's kind of the clown. Prince oh, of if, if he last, but not least. No, he's least, uh, but <laughs> he is. <laughs> He is the oh, 18th, it's, his, it's his 18th entry and his 17th in a row. Now, let's be clear. He's a comedy wrestler these days. He used to be one of the most violent players with Togi Makabe, uh, who's also kind of aged out of this tournament and doesn't appear in it anymore. But Yano might be the most intelligent person in New Japan Pro Wrestling for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, the guy has a high-end izakaya that he runs and uh, is a, he's a bit of a foodie. And uh, has uh, if you follow him on social media, you see he's got a pretty high class joint there that he runs. Uh, also, he's uh, his kids are adorable, and uh, he's he's a lot of fun watching with them. He has an act, Jeremy, that you can do every night mm-hmm. for twenty years and never get hurt. He, he does mostly comedy matches these days, and this is an old guy bracket: <laughs> Tanahashi, Naito, Goto. Uh, these are not young men <laughs> and, uh, these guys need a night off and, uh, Toriano is going to be that night off when you wrestle Toriano, it's going to go a few minutes, not very long. He rarely goes much more than 10. Uh, often he goes three or four and, uh, it's pretty, it's mostly kind of chuckling stuff. Maybe a, uh, little uh, low blow into a roll up type of finishes that he usually does. So <laughs> Yano Toriano. will not be involved not be involved he's going to get a weird win like for instance they they played this up for a long time that minoru suzuki couldn't beat toro yano in the g1 he would end up it. tied to the he would end up tied to the barricades he would end up with his shoelaces wrapped around the ring post so something goofy would happen to him uh, against yano all the time but uh it's uh but yano's not going to win and he's not going to be involved in the quarterfinals he's there mostly to give guys uh, an evening off Chaotic neutral, the Joker. Every time I think of Toro Yano in the G1, I think about Mockley getting Yano'd in his one entry. When yeah. Mockley was running the table, and then he came across Yano, and Yano got the best of him, and it all went downhill from there. It is one of the best single matches you'll ever watch just for Mockley's reactions in this basic comedy match after Mockley is just decimating folks left and right. It is a fantastic change of pace. Exactly what Stephen Conway, my friend here, has been describing is what he will be doing this year is what he did with Mockley when Mockley was in the G1 four years ago, 2018, 2019, 2019. So again, I, I'm thinking Naito and Sabre coming out of this, Jeff Cobb as a dark horse possibility. All right. So we have come up with our loose 
predictions of who comes out of these brackets. Now, Mr. Conway, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> okay. who is going to win from your choice of the first collection of the A bracket versus the second collection of the C bracket? Name them and then keep that in mind. I spent a embarrassing amount of time trying to reverse engineer this tournament going backwards and trying to figure out because they were good enough to tell us who's going to be facing whom, uh, you know, which, you know, the winner of a will face second place in C the winner of B blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, so you were able to kind of game plan all this stuff out. I have two different scenarios that I feel basically equally about uh, one has will. Uh, well, well, I'll get to one now. Both of them, however, have Sonata finishing first in the A block and Shingo Takagi finishing second in the C block and having that LIJ versus former LIJ matchup in the quarterfinals. That's that that's in on both of mine. Do you want me to go through the rest of mine or do you want to just stop there and just tell ahead? just tell me who's gonna win uh okay. your A one versus C two? A one versus C two. I do have Shingo beating him to yeah, set Shingo up beating Sonata. Sonata. To set up a title match. To set okay. up a title match. And that was my thought there. And then I had, uh, let's see. So my basically my semifinals, in one scenario, I had Shingo meeting Will Ospreay. In okay. the other semifinal, Okada advancing over Finlay to face, in one scenario, Shota Umino, who gets his win over Naito. So, again, you know, Umino has had these things where he challenged Naito and lost. And, and Okada, he's been challenging and challenging and harassing uh, and got run out of the gym, he and Narita, against uh, Okada and Tanahashi, right? So his whole thing is, I want to keep going after this guy. He's, he's like, scrappy dude, just let me at him, let me at him. So I had, on one hand, Shota beating Naito in the first round, but then crashing into Okada in the semifinals. And then in the finals, Okada versus Will Ospreay. So the two guys from the A block meeting in the finals in what will be a brilliant match won by Will Ospreay to go on to the Tokyo Dome. In my other scenario, not too different, but I have, again, Shingo over Sonata. I did have Naito advancing over Kiyomiya in that quarterfinal match. And then I had uh, Will face... So it was Shingo versus Okada in the semifinals. Shingo, again, getting that win over Sonata to set up a title match between the LIJ and the former LIJ. And I had uh, in that one, Shingo and Okada, I'm a little torn on who goes to the finals, but I had Naito beating Will Ospreay. Last year, Ospreay beat Naito in the G1 finals to get to the Tokyo Dome. This year, I'd imagine Naito getting that win back and then setting up, and I'm really torn on this one, whether it would be Naito against Shingo and LIJ versus LIJ intrigue or Naito and Okada meaning we want to sell tickets and we're going to put our two best guys, our two most popular guys in the main event. Uh, so, because again, the G1 finals is an interesting thing because you're basically selling the entire card on short notice because yeah. they don't, you can't really advertise in advance. So maybe they just say, oh, Okada and Naito will sell tickets. <laughs> so, but so would Shingo and Naito. So under my, uh, those are my two scenarios. One would get Naito uh, to, uh, against Sonata and another one would get uh, Osprey against uh, Sonata going in. So that, that there you go. I, I don't. I hope I didn't make that too 
complicated, but I, I think I found some interesting quarterfinal matches in there, some interesting semifinal matches, a little bit of interfaction intrigue, and then got us to a really strong draw in the Tokyo Dome main event. I am flying by the seat of my pants as I was writing this down and just deciding on the gut what I'm going to do. So give me your two finalists and the winner one more time. I had I had Naito over either Shingo or Okada. Either one's fine with me. The okay. other one I had Will over Okada. If you notice, I have Okada falling in the either the semifinals or the finals each time because, because 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 I believe that once that broken arm is healed, I think we're going to get the rematch of because Okada has to have something, and if sure. he's not going to be involved in the main event, it has to be something huge. Sure. And I think it's I think it's Brian Danielson again once that arm heals up. Okay. I think that's going to be the other featured match of Wrestle Kingdom. It's going to be him uh, there. So uh, th- th- those are my thoughts. So my quarterfinals, I got Hanada versus Finlay on the A one C two. I got okay. Okada winning the B bracket versus Naito as the second placer. I've got Shingo as the winner of the C bracket versus Will Ospreay as the second place winner. And okay. then I have got Saber Jr. winning the D bracket versus Kaito Kiyomiya. Okay. I'm going to have Hanada over Finlay because Finlay can lose to the IWGP champion while having the ever open weight title yes, and sir. not look weak. I'm going to have Okada beat Naito because mm. I think you could go either way, but I want to keep Naito and Hanada away from each other. So okay. I'm going to have Okada versus Hanada moving forward on the top. Underneath, I'm going to have Will defeating Shingo Takagi, and I'm going to have Zack Sabre Jr. lose to Kaito Kiyomiya. Hmm. So it'll be Will Ospreay versus Kaito Kiyomiya and Hanada versus Okada. I'm going to have Okada defeat Hanada, setting up a title match afterwards. I'm going to have Will defeat... Kaido Kiyomiya, and then I'm going to have Will defeat Okada in the G1, thus setting up a title match. Maybe Will will still have the US title as well, but I think we're going to get the mountain being climbed by Will, although I 1,000% would not discount Naito winning this whole thing either. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, Will is, I have the two, right? And I think yeah. Will is probably the one that I, if I had to turn in one to put into a pool for actual money, I would put the mm-hmm. Will Ospreay one. One, because it would have the Okada match, and then Will and Shingo in the semifinals under my bracket, just he, because Will and Shingo had that all time classic 47 minute match uh, for the IWGP title here's a what couple years ago, pause. and everybody wants to see it again. What's that? Now? Here's what gives me pause. They had two main events, one for North America and one for Japan last year at Wrestle Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it worked out very well. So Mm -hmm. if you do Will and Okada and then you do Sonata and Naito, the double main event, Japan and America, that could very much work out. I don't know that they're doing that, but that strikes me as a highly logical thing. You can do the IWGP title for Sonata and Naito. Uh, I feel like Okada challenging or being in the running for the U.S. title feels a little bit weird tonally and, and doesn't quite work. But Will having both titles, top of the mountain kind of challenge, kind of 
approach, there seems to be something there. And I, again, I don't know that any of this is happening, but if you wanted to go big Wrestle Kingdom, put Will Ospreay to the moon as the top baby face, finally beating Okada, uh, bigger than it's ever been, kind of have to go big, right? There you go. All right. So those are our thoughts. And of course, uh, we uh, reserve the right to be absolutely incorrect. Yeah, <laughs> we we're gonna be wrong. Well be. What yeah, we're not gonna. If we come back and I'm right, uh, you'll never hear the end of me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, but it's look. Bottom line is, G1 Climax is some of the best wrestling all year long. Think of the wrestling we've already seen in 2023 between WWE, AEW, New Japan, Stardom. Uh, I, I, that's not the complete list, but, you know. But there are a lot of uh, even CMLL's been good everything's been good this year this could eclipse all of it that's how good the g1 climax usually is so let's take a look at the very first weekend of action so the toll tournament is going to kick off on saturday july 15th in sapporo's hokkaido prefectural sports center so going up north starting things in sapporo and and it's going to be headlined by sonata versus hikuleo in the first uh, the first main event of course put the world champion in the main event no problem there Here's an upset special, Taichi versus Will Ospreay. Remember, there are a couple of tropes that, that Ghetto likes to use in the G1, which is take a favorite and have him lose the first match, give him a mountain to climb. So this could be an upset special here. Taichi is taken very seriously. Osprey, this might be the thing where he has to climb the mountain a little bit. Yota Suji versus Kato Kiyomiya, and that might be the most intriguing match of the whole night to me. Kazuchika Okada against the Great Okan. In what is an interesting matchup between these uh, Rewa uh, three musketeers, Shota Umino against Ren Narita in this one. Interesting to note, Umino has never lost a singles match to Narita. Uh-oh. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Tangaloa against Kenta. Chase Owens against Gabriel Kidd. And it'll be led off uh, with Yoshihashi against El Phantasmo. So there you have it. That's night one. So that's A and B. C and D blocks get underway in the same building the following night. So on uh, July 16th, Sunday, that'll be early Sunday morning here in the U.S., uh, the C and D blocks, same place, Tetsuya Naito versus Jeff Cobb. Naito has never lost to Cobb, uh, but probably won't here just be here either, I think, because remember, whoever wins the main event talks on the microphone. Jeff Cobb doesn't seem like a likely candidate for that. He's it seems talking. like they're going to send the crowd home with uh, Naito. Tamatanga against Evil. Hiroshi Tanahashi against Zack Sabre Jr. By the way, Jeremy, were you surprised Tamatanga and Evil was second from the top when you have Tanahashi versus Zack and Takagi versus Kingston? Not really, to be honest. Really? You, you didn't think that one would be lower? No. I would have put Shingo and Eddie up there. I feel like they're alternating brackets back and forth, back and forth. Well, they are. But, I mean, like, Tamatanga and Evil, you're telling me that you can't put Shingo Takagi and Eddie Kingston as the top C-block match? No. Keep talking. I'm going to be right back. Okay. Tamatanga versus Evil, as I mentioned. Hiroshi Tanahashi against Zack Sabre Jr. Shingo Takagi against Eddie Kingston. After that, we will have Shane Haste against Alex Coughlin. Mikey Nichols against Aaron Hanare. Hiroki Goto against Toru Yano. Those are two chaos faction members facing one another. Tomohiro Ishii against David Finlay after that. That will be the opener. Finlay versus Ishii is going to be an interesting match to open that show. And then we're going to move on very quickly. I'm not going to read the entire card, but Tuesday, July 18th in Yamagata. The key match is there. Kazuchika Okada against El Phantasmo. Sonata versus Shota Umino. 
and Ren Narita against Yoda Suji in uh, another matchup of the new three musketeers and then wednesday july 19th in miyagi that's part of sendai so staying up north ishii against tamatanga uh that's an intriguing main event again tamatanga seems most likely to win that one because someone has to talk on the microphone ishii doesn't do that and then goto versus naito that'll be a terrific match and eddie kingston against evil so uh we'll see how he deals with the house of torture on uh wednesday and then by then We'll be back to talk about the first four nights of the tournament. We'll be going over the matches, what we liked, what we didn't like, and how things are shaping up. So, I am super excited for the first four days of this. In all honesty, I feel like they are going out the gate. There were a couple of nights right out of the best of the Super Juniors that didn't that kind of stumbled. Like night two and night three out of it didn't quite hit, and then it was just full steam ahead. It doesn't feel like the match lineups for the first couple nights of the G1 are going to have that same kind of issue, which is good because the first two nights are free on New Japan World. You don't even need a subscription to watch them at all. So if you get the New Japan World, you register and you want to watch them, that's how you do it. And then uh, the the first hit free, kids. Uh, Kevin Kelly will be in Japan the entire time he has traveled. Uh, he's gonna, they're going to have fill-ins on AEW Collision for uh, Kevin Kelly as uh, Kevin is uh, going to be uh, live in Japan throughout the entire tournament. So that's great news for New Japan fans. We have the best announcer in the business that will be live on site, uh, right there at ringside, calling the action on uh, the English uh, feeds. Appreciate so, it now because who knows how much longer we're getting Kevin Kelly at New Japan. But, yeah, uh, the there's, there, there are a lot of... There are a lot of what ifs, a lot of what ifs. Ian Riccoboni's terrific announcer. Yeah, I feel like if Ian Riccoboni is the guy that gets the nod after that, uh, we're in good shape. Uh-huh. Ian's already pretty busy in the U.S. too. It's tough. Uh, you got to get somebody hoping. who's pretty free. What's that? I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Yeah. Oh, quality. yeah, yeah. Ian's Ian's fabulous. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, so, uh, Jeremy, now uh, on What's this up? show, this show here, uh, of course, here in the Fight Game Media Network feed, uh, you know, we're our own feed too, but we're on the Fight Game Media feed, we have, uh, we're taking the spot here of uh, a show that really did a great job of getting into Japanese wrestling history, Justin Nipper and Fumi Saito show write, the, write this down. So it's our honor to take into that spot and to be a spot where we can talk about Japanese wrestling. Uh, would you mind, Jeremy, if I did a, a not very long uh, little history thing here that as it regard, relates to the G1? Of course, man. How about it? Okay. So this is what I wanted to look at here. And we, we wanted to get into a little bit of history on this show, too, because Japanese wrestling, and particularly the way Ghetto books, there are a lot of nods to history in the way uh, he does things. So it, it has value also in uh, reflecting upon current times as well. So... The tournament history of the G1 goes all the way back, really, in uh, throughout the entire history in New Japan. So almost anyway. So New Japan was founded in March of 1972. If you're a hardcore New Japan fan, you know that because they celebrated every year with the anniversary show. They wanted to come up with a tournament, and and uh, they came up with it in 1974. So only two years into the formation of the promotion they came up with this idea of a an important tournament it was not called the g1 climax that wouldn't come until much later it was called the world league initially in 1974 and uh this uh first format was unnecessarily complicated let's just put it that way i'll explain in a second so they uh, they wanted to come up with this tournament now getting guys for this thing was a little tricky all Japan Wrestling, its top rival, had the affiliation with the National Wrestling Alliance. 
So a lot of the top foreign talent went over to All Japan. There was a third company called IWE, International Wrestling Enterprise. And they often booked the AWA champion. Okay, can't have him. So there wasn't a whole lot left. A lot of the top guys were already tied up working for Baba and the IWE and things. But Anoki was able to put together a tournament with some foreigners. And the foreign people were very interesting. So the first tournament had a Japanese bracket and an international bracket. And each of those brackets had uh, had seven guys in them. Eight guys, excuse me, eight guys in them. What they did was they had uh, an international bracket and a Japanese bracket. They had a round robin in each one. Then they had the top four from each advance and have another round robin. And then at the end of that round robin, there was a three-way tie. So at the three-way tie, they had a tiebreaker where the three guys had two matches in a night uh, in, a, in another round robin. So there were three rounds of round robin. That this tournament just kept getting smaller. And they finally crowned a champion. Now, I'm going to tell you about some of the people that were in this tournament because it's interesting. On the Japanese side, Antonio Inoki, of course. Uh, Seji Sakaguchi, who was Antonio's uh, right-hand man through a lot of it, both in the ring and behind the scenes, uh, the right-hand man. Masa Saito. Classic uh, big-time uh, wrestler there, had a lot of success in the United States. Uh, the Saito Suplex, the side suplex. And uh, and the other guy who finished with one measly point at the bottom of the card, just uh, getting going, Katsuhisa Shibata. That's Katsuyori Shibata's father. Uh, will go on to be a New Japan referee. On the international side, the top star was Killer Karl Krupp, who was uh, did a German gimmick. Uh, and if you're wondering, yes, he, he was a Nazi. He was, he was a Nazi. But uh, that was the gimmick anyway. So it has not aged well, but we'll move not on. Not great. Not great. Uh, it, believe it or not, Jeremy, he aged second worst on this show because the other foreigner uh, who on the international side who did advance was Invader Number 1, Jose Gonzalez, who is the steaming piece of shit that murdered Bruiser Brody in Puerto mm. Rico. So, uh, you know, the Nazi, the fake Nazi is at least second place to the friggin' murderer. Uh, so, Invader 1, you suck, you piece of shit. So, moving on. Uh, Stan Stasiak, former WWF World Heavyweight Champion, was there. There was a guy named uh, uh, Kasro Vaziri, who would become the Iron Sheik later on. Another one was Bolo Mongol. There were two Mongols, by the way. They were a tag team. Bolo Mongol was Bill Eady, who would go on to become the mass superstar and one half of the tag team Demolition. So, you know, some real uh, foreign stuff. And there was also a guy. I named loved Walter how Jones. old Eady was with that face paint, by the way. Like oh, that was God, yeah. that was that was magic. That was magic behind the stage. <laughs> Eady's one of those guys, also like Freddie Blassie, who looked fifty when he was twenty. So, I mean, it just even more. He looked more 50 stuff. when he looked 40. He looked 50 when he looked 50. <laughs> he looked 40. He looked, but I'm saying he looked 50 when he was 20, too. I mean, yeah, the guy just yeah. always looked old. Yeah. So, and there was a guy named Walter Johnson. Now, not the pitcher from the Washington Senators, don't worry. Uh, that was in the early uh, 1900s. No, Walter Johnson, if you look at his bio on Wikipedia, barely mentions pro wrestling. He was the three-time Pro Bowl football player for the Cleveland Browns, who was trying pro wrestling and uh, didn't stick around very long. But there you go. So there, there's some interesting names there in 1974, but that's who he could get. So you see a little bit of a tie-in with the WWF. Uh, although uh, Bolo Mongol, you know, Bill Eady would work for everybody in the world. Uh, Invader One, mostly Puerto, mostly in Puerto Rico. And Killer Carl Krupp was a heel that would travel around and work 
just about everywhere. Uh, just one of those uh, guys that uh, always came in, would have a run with the top baby faces and then move on. Uh, not journeyman, because I, I don't want to call him a journeyman because he was mostly pretty high up on the car. So uh, in the end, by the way, uh, Antonio Inoki, shocker of all, uh, won the tiebreakers over Sakaguchi. I'm, I'm surprised beyond all belief. They tinkered with the format a lot in the early days. In 1975, for instance, they had 16 guys, only one block, with the top five moving on. The guy that would finish with the most points would skip all the way to the finals. And again, that was Carl Krupp. They really really pushed Carl Krupp as the top uh, as the top heel foreigner uh, at that time. Krupp at that spot. Uh, Inoki and Strong Kobayashi met in the semifinals. Seki Seji Sakaguchi, sorry, Seji, and uh, Kintaro Oki uh, went to a double disqualification in the other uh, semifinal. That allowed Inoki to just go straight to the finals. And lo and behold, the owner and top star beat Killer Carl Krupp in the finals again. So he won the first two. Uh, he did not participate in the 1976 tourney. I don't know if he was hurt or if he just decided to step back, but this one was a different format again. 14 guys this time. The top finisher in the points of the round robin went on to the finals. Spots two through four had a round robin to face him. So they were tinkering with things, trying to get him to work. Pedro Morales, another former WWWF World Heavyweight Champion, uh, had the best uh, score in the round robin portion. Killer Carl Krupp again, Victor Rivera, uh, and Sakaguchi were the others. Uh, that, And then that one was uh, actually... Won by uh, Sakaguchi, who defeated Morales by countout. Notice they didn't beat Morales. They didn't pin Morales anyway. So uh, he won that one by countout. Now, in 1977, they just had enough of this crap. Uh, much simpler. One block, the top two guys go to the finals. There. We can all understand this one, right? <laughs> Here are some of the people that were in it. Interesting. Uh, you know, the, the last time you had guys like you know, Krupp was back, uh, you had uh, Butcher Vashan. Uh, was in uh, the year in it the year before. That's an interesting name. Uh, but you know, and Pedro Morales, of course, was a pretty big name in 1970s wrestling. But in 1977, much simpler format. They had the mass superstar. Uh, so Bill Eady was back in, under his new gimmick. Uh, he actually never worked for Baba. He only worked for Inoki in Japan. Uh, Bill Eady had a lot of nice things to say about Inoki. He stayed loyal to him throughout all that. So uh, if you look, Mass Superstar was always a New Japan guy. Uh, Seji Sakaguchi, again, always getting the, the hard push. Some other names in this one, though. Uh, Nikolai Volkov was there. Uh, Johnny Powers, who was the NWF champion. That's a promotion that ran around uh, the Great Lakes, part of Lake Erie, Lake Ontario. So around Buffalo and Cleveland and things. And uh, that's actually his belt. The NWF title uh, was purchased by New Japan. He went over to Japan and lost it to Inoki as a way to establish a world title in that because mm -hmm. they didn't have the IWGP belt yet. So his NWF title was part of the real uh, legitimizing uh, Inoki because he couldn't be the NWA world champion. That was, uh, they were tied up with Baba. So in that one, uh, mass superstar submitted to Seji Sakaguchi and Sakaguchi won the tournament. So those are the very early days of the world league uh, tournament. Now in 1978, they leaned harder into their relationship with the WWWF. Uh, that was one thing that was, it was a place to go because again, the NWA was tied up with all Japan. 
the IWE was still a thing. It, they, that company wouldn't die off until 1981. Uh, it just kind of fizzled out. So they, they lost some of the, some key guys and uh, just ended up going bankrupt. But in 1978, they were still viable and they were using a lot of AWA talent. So who do you go to? Well, the other promotion that's not in that mix is the WWWF. Enoki would make some Madison Square Garden appearances in New York. Uh, Tiger Mask would make some Madison Square Garden appearances in New York. Guys like Bob Backlund, the world champion, would be coming over to Japan. One of the few foreigners portrayed as a babyface in Japan, Bob Backlund. Pedro also, by the way. Uh, but even Andre the Giant was a heel, basically, when he would go over to Japan. But there were a couple of guys that would be babyfaces. And they started leaning harder into that. And they even called this tournament the Madison Square Garden League. Hmm. And they would have tours, Madison Square, you know, Madison Square Garden. So they promoted the idea of Madison Square Garden as this mythical place, which I guess it was for wrestling, right? And uh, so, again, they really promoted that. And we're going to start seeing some bigger names in the future. And we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks uh, as we're going to kind of serialize this uh, little history lesson. So we've seen the early days when they're starting to get some foreign talent like Carl Krupp, uh, bill Eady and things but we're gonna we're gonna pump that up a little bit and get some bigger names once they start doing the madison square garden league in the late 70s as so they work with the wwf and new japan itself begins to build a lot of momentum and it becomes more than sakaguchi and Anoki fighting off foreign heels uh we're gonna start seeing names like fujinami and also on the cards not in these tournaments but tiger mask is there uh, some of the other guys like George Takano, the Cobra, and, you know, we're, we're gonna, it's going to start building momentum as a company. And uh, Madison Square Garden League is going to have some big names in it. And we're going to go over uh, as uh, this tournament evolved into what we now know and love as the G1 Climax. I have forgotten more in my life than you have remembered in, in all the. It was impressive <laughs> that you can just go and, and, and bring this to us because, frankly, I'm just like, oh, cool <laughs> you know, like i am not the history historian of the yeah. japanese wrestling that you are and i i tip yeah. your cat cap to you and oh, thanks. i look forward to more of this going into the future uh, yeah so what do we got oh, yeah, yeah. no i mean I, I think that uh that's mostly what we had for this week yeah. uh, anything else you wanted to mention before we kick this one off i feel like we have a comprehensive g1 climax 33 preview spoiler alert we think it's either will or naito or i think it's either will or naito <laughs> Yeah, I do too. Those are my those are my picks, Will or Naito. So uh thank you for joining us on Kazakhstan style. Uh Steven, take us out of here. All right. So don't forget, join us here next week. We will go over the first four shows. There's gonna be coming thick and fast, but it's gonna be wonderful. So we will be following this along every step of the way. Thanks once again for listening to Speaking of Strong Style. For Jeremy Feinstone, I'm Stephen Conway. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.